listener production. If you're currently looking after a child under two, how are you going? So I think that it's there's so many things for parents to worry about for kids in that age group. It's almost overwhelming. Today on Feed, Play, Love, a new book helping parents raise children under two. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. Babies and toddlers are delightful. They're at an age when they are possibly the cutest they'll ever be, which is fortunate because babies and toddlers are hard work. Dr. Priya Alexander is a GP, mum of two, and author of Eat, Sleep, Play, Love. It's a tome and one that aims to give parents evidence-backed advice and options on the many, many decisions they will have to make in the first two years. Priya, welcome to Feed, Play, Love. Thank you. I have to say, great name. (laughs) (laughs) Very similar, isn't it? I'm like, we were meant to be. We were. (laughs) As soon as your book came out, I'm like, I have to have Priya on my show. (laughs) Don't worry that she's a GP with years of experience. And when I say tome, I mean that it's just packed full of information. Mm. So I don't want people to expect they're going to get all the information in this interview. They have to get the book for that. They do. But I want to, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. Um, when it comes to raising children, there is a whole universe of advice and information out there. As I said, there's a lot here. I want to know what was your guiding principle when you put it all together? Like, how did you decide what mm. you wanted to include in this book? So I think I have a unique experience in that I'm a GP, I'm in the consulting room, I'm seeing a lot of people in this space. So I'm seeing people pre-conception, I'm seeing patients during pregnancy and I see them at six-week checks, I do a ton of them. I'm seeing parents with one-year-olds and 18-month-olds and I've got three-year-olds on my floor having tantrums. So I see the side as a GP and then I've lived it. So I've got that lived experience. So when it came to what's going to go in here, it was what do my patients desperately yearn for and what do I wish I had when I was a new parent? That's what I've basically put in here. And what was that? (laughs) Well, it's, it's basically what I've written, I think, is the barefoot investor for parents. Mm-hmm. So this is a guide. This isn't, this is the single right way to do things. This is the way to make your baby sleep. This is how you have to start solids. Because when I was a new parent reading these books, I would read it. And if I tried a sleeping method and it failed, I was the failure or my kid was. I was like, something's wrong with one of us. Who is it? So what I've done is said, no, no single right answers because I know as a GP, they don't exist. Let's give people the platter. The barefoot investor, choose what works for you. Take the option that suits your family, your parenting style, your baby. And that's basically what I've put in the book. And I don't think it exists yet. And that's what I do in the consulting room for parents. And I kept saying to them, you know, there are options. And people were like, but where are these? This would be great if it was in one place, Priya. (laughs) And I was like, well. You've got time to write a book, don't you? Yeah. So I whipped this up overnight. (laughs) Um. 
talk to me, I sort of want to explore that a little bit more in terms of how it plays out on a few topics mm. that we know in the parenting world are controversial, yeah. right? They're yeah. massive wars about things. Yes. And I'm going to start with the doozy. <laughs> talk to me about how you approach something like sleep in this mm. book, because it's definitely one of those areas that you get a lot of conflicting advice as you a parent. You do. You do. So that's the thing. What That's why I haven't done a single best answer because one book might say to you, this is the only way to make your baby sleep. And another book gives you a completely conflicting option and you go, well, which one's right? Who am I meant to follow? And so you get even more confused in this vulnerable, sleep deprived, gray patch when your body, your mind, your relationship, everything has changed. So to answer the question, because I've taken a complete tangent, sleep I talk about the science of sleep. So I explain to readers what is happening in the baby's brain when they start to develop circadian rhythms, how you can support that development. I talk about um, sleep associations. I have a baby sleep expert, um, a GP, Dr. Liz Ma in the book and lots of other expert voices. Um, but together we basically go through the options. So some parents, and actually there's, there's um, a report from 2011, the ARCY report, which looked at the styles of parenting and described that it's actually a spectrum. And so on this spectrum, there are these kind of intuitive parents who kind of go with the child, they rock them to sleep, they're comfortable with that, they go to the child when required, they follow the cues. Then on the other side, there are parents who are willing to adopt behavioural sleep interventions and other interventions um, when it comes to their children. And what's important, I think, is to realise we're all on the spectrum. And I see patients on both sides, in the middle. I'm probably more towards, you know, behavioural interventions. I know other people who are not. So the book acknowledges that and says, here's the platter. The data is that behavioural sleep interventions don't harm your child nor harm your relationship with your child. So I break that through the research, the data, it's all in there. I actually label it with a nerd alert because... <laughs> When I get into the studies, I get a bit excited, but I break it down for people. And then I say, here's your platter. You know, you can do this, you can do that. You can swaddle, you can pat, you can use a dummy. Here's the pros, here's the cons, choose. I love that because <clears throat> what you talk about there, about the spectrum of parenting styles, mm. I feel like that's the key mm. to parenting, whatever age your child is. Yes. And had I understood that before I had my kids, yeah. I reckon I would have saved so much heartache. Yes. Trying to fit into a square hole and yeah. Yeah, because I wasn't I wasn't following my intuition. Like I didn't have any at that point, right? Intuition yes. is developed as we raise our children and mm. learn and get more experience. But I remember with my eldest, we tried controlled crying. I know people like to call it different things, mm. but basically that intervention where you're mm -hmm. coming in and out. Yes. Broke me, broke mm -hmm. her. And she ended up sleeping with me anyway. Mm -hmm. And we still sleep together and I don't care. There you go. But at the time, I felt like I was failing as a parent. Yes. Because I wasn't getting her to sleep in her cot. Yes. And there were a number of reasons why that was never going to work. Mm. But had I gone back to the sort of person I was. Yes. My values, the way I am in the world. Mm. I think it would have made those choices much easier. But you're right. It, it's a spectrum, right? And I think actually identifying where you're at on the spectrum. So I said to patients in the consulting room, 
I draw it on a piece of paper. I'm a shonky drawer, but I do my little Dr. <laughs> Doodle. And I go, tell me where you sit so we can find something that works for you. I have a low intervention to involve baby sleep experts as well, because I think we wait for far too long. Too long. And you don't have to be at rock bottom. We talk about that a lot in the book. You can get help early. But, you know, you say it didn't work for you. That method worked mm. beautifully for my daughter. Yeah. And I'm a different, you know, style of parent. I had yep. a different baby. I think what this book says is, mate, there's no one best way. And, and that's, that's the best part of it, yeah. right? You're not failing if you don't get it to work this way. Yeah. And, that, and I also think that's what's great about having a GP with the science behind the advice you're giving because there's so much guilt around parenting oh, and yes. doing the wrong thing. And then mm. you step back and you think, hold on a minute, is my child happy, mm. healthy, thriving? Mm. Am I okay? And if you tick all those boxes, who cares what anyone else Correct. thinks? Correct. But you're, you've just raised that notion of mum guilt or parent guilt. Oh, it's consuming, isn't it? Like it's just, so hard. yeah, it's so hard. And I've now got a seven-year-old and a three-year-old and it doesn't get better. It just gets more challenging. You're like, well, now I feel guilty because I've written a book and I'm launching the book. And I said to my daughter, I'm going to Sydney to launch the book. And she was like, I'm so excited, mummy, but you've been traveling a lot lately. Oh, <laughs> I was like, holy mama, like I'm already battling. And, you know, I sit down with her and, you know, we have a massive conversation and explain to her why. But, you know, I was like, you're doing nothing for the mum guilt, buddy. <laughs> but, you know, you feel guilty all the time. Am I reading them enough books? Have I enrolled them in enough extracurricular things or too many? Am I exhausting them? Are my expectations too high? Am I a good enough mother? Have I sat on the floor with them enough today? Endless. Endless. Completely endless. endless. And look, this is a generalisation, but I'm pretty certain that dads don't feel the same level of guilt. They because don't. Because my husband, classic example, he said to me one day, he's like, I think we're doing a great job with the kids. <laughs> and I looked at him and he goes, yeah, they're happy, they're healthy, we're, we're great parents. And I was like, oh, my word. I if you could see that. inside my brain where I'm thinking about all the things, you know, how much screen time they've had yes. or the fact that it took forever to get them to eat vegetables or whatever. Yes. And I'm like, you didn't, I want to be you. Like, look, how much happier are you? unique, I like it. I, I sometimes envy Will, my husband's capacity to just kind of just do his thing. Yeah. You know, I, I find if I say, I'm going to go for lunch with the girls, I planned it six weeks in advance, I know the time, <laughs> we'll just see you. He's like, babe, go for it. Like, live your life. Don't need to talk about it anymore. I've got it. He'll just book golf and not really, you know, yeah, they yeah. don't even, it's just a different, I envy it. Yeah, mm. I do too. I do too. I'm, I, I think it's, hopefully we'll change things. Yes. Yeah, by the time our kids have left home, <laughs> hopefully mums won't feel mum guilt. Hopefully. <laughs> um, so you are uniquely placed to see how parenting impacts such a broad range of people as a GP. What do you find that parents are struggling with most in those first two years? Mm. What patients say to me in the consulting room is, Priya, there's just so much. There's just too much. Um, and people are going, okay, skincare, reducing the risk of food allergies, starting solids, what option should I go with there? Oh, I didn't know I'm not meant to use products with food proteins to reduce the risk of food allergies. Holy mama, I've stuffed it up, the guilt that comes with that. Screen time, um, language development is something wrong with this birthmark that I found. There's just so much. And parents say to me, Priya, no one told me I'm meant to look after the gums before <laughs> a tooth even comes out. 
<laughs> and that's the patient I remember who said, no, my bloody told me. Yeah. And yeah. she was peeved off. She was like, no one's told me. How am I meant to know there's too much? And there is too much. Yeah. So I think it is that overwhelm in the first two years. There's a lot and it's hard to know what's the most important thing and what you can let go for a little bit and what you're meant to be acting on today. This book is full of practical advice, mm. but I'm really intrigued in your particular perspective, the insight that you get as a GP, mm. um, because I might be revealing too much here, but um, as a parent, I've, I've often felt the only time I felt truly cared for and seen, mm. and maybe this is as a mother, is when I see my GP. See, I'm very lucky. I have a GP that I've seen for 20 years. Yes. But when I walk into that room mm. and um, it's a yearly checkup or whatever, mm. and she's like, so how are you? Like, why are you here? And I'm like, I'm here for a checkup. And she goes, so what's going on? And then I tell her what's going on. And without fail, I'll be crying within like oh, 10 minutes, yeah. you know, because it's yeah. the first person, especially mums, when you're going mm. around looking after everyone else. And then suddenly you're in a room with a GP and the GP asks, how are you? Mm. And you go, huh, you really care. And then mm. it just, and I also hear of mothers in that first year when they're coming for their six-week checkout, mm. maybe they're a single mother, maybe maybe their partner's gone back to work and it's mm -hmm. really tough. And that six-week checkup is the first time someone's gone. Yes. How are you? Yes. Do you see that much in your clinic? Like oh. women just going, <laughs> thank you. So I think me. you've raised some very important points. Firstly, gosh, you've got to find a good GP who you oh, gel with. Yes. And if you need to go and try out a couple, that's normal. I still haven't found my person yet since moving um, suburbs. So I think you need to find someone who makes you feel like that, who hears you, acknowledges you, sees you. I'm so privileged. Like I'm a GP. I get to sit there in my consulting room and I get such a unique and deep insight into people's lives. So people will share, like without getting teary because I'm just, you know, it, it is overwhelming sometimes. People will share their highest highs with me positive pregnancy test, the fact that the scan has come back with no cancer, the fact that the thing we thought was, you know, a tumour in the head, it's actually not. You know, I'm there for the high highs and I'm there for really low lows. My patients post a stillbirth or miscarriage or um, death of a family member or a partner. And so I get to know people over years and it's just the stuff I see in there, the insight that people will give me into their lives is just astounding, overwhelming. It's a huge, huge privilege to hold people's hands through all of that. But I have to say one of the most raw things I do is a six-week check. Mm. And I see mum and baby separately. And I talk about that in the book, why? Because it's demanding for both. Like both need a lot of love. But seeing new mums and exactly what you describe, I get so many patients going, Priya, I didn't think it was going to be like this. Priya, what have I done? I'm freaking out. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm exhausted. My nipples are cracked. I'm bleeding. The pads are leaking. Like it's just this raw. It's, it's yeah. a lot. It's a and lot. we're both looking at each other going, I remember. Yes, yes. Like this kind of freaked out response. Um, but I see people at, you know, some patients are kind of swimming along and, you know, they're probably on the different parenting spectrum that I was on and they're kind of going with the punches and they're rolling in it and they're loving it. 
But a lot of people are going, holy mama. Yeah. This isn't what I saw on Instagram. (laughs) No. Where's the glorious mum bun and the amazing outfit? It's not there. It's not happening. No. My doctor always says to me, you're doing so well. Yeah. You're like, yes. Do I get a gold star? It's the hug you need. It's that kind of, you know, someone has seen me. And I say to patients at the six-week check, I'm like, you're nailing this. There's no right way. The self-doubt is normal. If you're thinking, what have I done? That's normal. But you are nailing this. And Mm. people just walk out with their shoulders a bit further back and a bit of a pep in their step. Because you know. Oh, mate. You I know. know, you've seen it all. Look, you dedicate your book in part mm. to parents who have been in the trenches. Mm. So my children are now uh, almost nine and 11. I love the way we have to think about it. Yes. You're like, they're... Um... <laughs> when, when's his birthday's in like a month? Um, but I remember those two years as some of the hardest mm. So that term trenches is really kind of apt, isn't it? Like those first two years, Mm. I mean, you're a new parent, but also your child is really demanding at that stage. Really demanding. And I think that's what we spoke about before is there's so much and it's overwhelming and you can doubt yourself at every turn, every turn. So, you know, oh, I'm using a dummy. Do I think that's the right thing? To, but like, it's constant, isn't it? It's, you know, I'm using the dummy. Have I put them, have I swaddled the hips a little bit too much, do you think? Solids. Oh, should I start with the baby rice cereal or the avocado? <laughs> Hot tip, it doesn't matter. It's in the book. <laughs> Read the book. But, you know, baby led weaning purees. It's mm. just, it's this constant self-doubt, uncertainty, demanding human. It's exhausting. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's amazing. You that's know, I say. It's a lot. It's a lot. And I think for me, for, with my first, if I'm getting very raw, like it was a lot, a lot. I'd had a really traumatic birth. I definitely had, you know, lived some birth trauma. I didn't deal with it particularly well, I don't think. I was kind of, no, 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 not me. I'm the doctor. That's not happening to me. And eventually spoke to someone who said, Priya, this is, you know, I think you're quite anxious at the moment and I think the birth is the reason for that. And, and look, it was traumatic. Um, But even then, you know, the first two years with my daughter, I probably didn't get the most out of it. And I look back and I feel, you know, almost like crying. Like I I wasn't enjoying the moments I could have. And that was different with my son. So I'm very lucky and I'm very grateful for that. But with my daughter, I remember one day her putting her sticky little hands on my face at about you know, maybe 20 months and she put her hands on my face. Oh my gosh, I'm going to start crying and said, I love you just out of nowhere. Mm. Um, And you think, gosh, with all the uncertainty and all the grey and all the tumultuous moments, there are beautiful ones. Yeah. Spontaneous ones. And they're there, but it's not easy. No. Yeah. And that perspective you talk about where you're worrying about every little Mm. thing. I remember my husband and I, having really long involved conversations Mm. about how we were going to take her out for a walk in the pram. Yes. And once you're past that phase, you think, how on earth did I have such an in-depth discussion? Why did, why was it so hard? But you do tend to overthink things. Yes. Because it's also new and you're sleep deprived Mm. and you've never, you haven't probably had a break. You've had no time to reflect. Mm. Do you think that's most common with the first child in the early years? I think it is. And I think by the second or subsequent, if there's more than two, three, four, five, however many there are, I think you 
trust your gut a bit more. Mm. So the first time you go, this feels kind of right, but I don't know. You know, you're like, I don't know. Yes. Whereas with the second, you're like, actually, how he goes out in the pram doesn't matter. And the three-year-old's on a scooter and everyone's happy. Couldn't care less. Your perspective shifts, doesn't it? Totally. And I think that's probably why I enjoyed the first two years more with my son because I went, I knew what to sweat and not what not to. Yeah. And also having not had a traumatic birth and more control was a big factor. But, yeah, I stopped sweating the small stuff and went, you know what, I'm just going to be present in here and this is awesome. Mm. I, and the big change for me was after that story with my daughter, I literally brought my son home and we co-slept from the get-go. I didn't even think about it. I mm. mean, I did. I went to the Red Nose website. I yes. checked how to do it safely. Yeah, good. And yeah, then, yeah. And it was the most <laughs> beautiful thing. Yeah. So, and we, neither of us moved. I mean, I was pretty cold because it was winter. So I rugged him up. I had no sheets on. <laughs> and I remember breastfeeding him at night. Everything was so much easier. Yeah. Because you I went just with went. You. Exactly. And do you know, I have to say that there are some other, you know, books in this space that will say, what? You co-slept. That is a no-no. But, you know, there are some books yes. that when voices that will say that. And what I actually say in the book is, look. This is how you can reduce the risk of SIDS. It's really ignorant to think that there aren't people co-sleeping and certainly in some cultures it's absolute norm Mm. and this is how you do it safely. So I do talk about that because you can do things your way. You can reduce risk. You just need to know how to do it and where to look for the stuff. And you went to Red Nose and that's essentially what I've taken and Mm. put my own spin on in here. Yeah. And the thing about that I find interesting is I understand why most medical professionals or health professionals feel they have to say absolutely no co-sleeping because Mm. if there's even a slight chance it could result in Mm. a death, of course you're going to say don't do it at all. But then as a parent to hear a GP say there are ways to do it safely, there's ways to minimise risk if you choose to go down this path at least do this way. Then you think, oh, okay, right. Yeah. This is kind of normalising it but also trusting that parents will do the right thing by their kid. Correct. And I think it's not appropriate. I'm trying to think of the right word, but it doesn't work if I sit there as the GP with judgment. You know, I might not do it that way. Red Nose Australia or other guidelines might not, not say not to do it that way, but that's not the reality. Mm. And lots of us are doing things differently and none of it's wrong. We've just got to reduce risk, like we said, where we can. I remember a patient coming to me. I know the exact patient, her name's in my head. She came to me with her first and said, I want to do baby lead weaning for solids. And she said, I know that as a GP, you're going to tell me no. And I looked at WHO and they don't even talk about it. And I know that it's not in the guidelines. And I said, doesn't mean we can't talk about it. Like I've got, I've read and listened to everything on this and gone through the studies and the Bliss Study New Zealand also in here in a nerd alert, don't worry, so you can skip it if you want to. (laughs) They're appropriately labelled. But I remember saying to her, just because it's not in, you know, the major guidelines or the WHO isn't talking about it, doesn't mean that it's not happening and that I don't need to know about it and support you as your GP. Mm. I'm your GP. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to guide this is how we do it safely. Here's some stuff you can read. So I think, you know, the point we're saying is that we can all do things differently. There's no single right way. And with lots of stuff, it's about how do you do stuff safely? 
if you're not going to place your baby in a bassinet or a cot, how can you reduce the risk of SIDS and SUDI? Mm. Let's talk I, about that. I feel like there are parents going, whereabouts does Priya practice? <laughs> can we get on her list? <laughs> um, you have a section at the end of your book mm. where you talk about your own experiences mm. with parenthood and you've shared a bit of that with us today. But I really loved how you wrote about the ways you manage the juggle. Mm. And that juggle, as you mentioned in the book, it could be work, kids, partner. It could be single parent, one kid, work. It could be staying at home with the kid and and juggling all the stuff that comes with that. Mm. Do you have a few tips on how you manage that? So number one would be that self-care is critical and it doesn't have to be fancy or glamorous. And I think that social media has somewhat blurred what self-care should be. Is it going to Coachella? <laughs> is it going on a, you know, interstate girls trip? It doesn't have to be. And that's not feasible for so many of us, not yes. for me, definitely. Um, you know, make your self-care achievable. What fills your cup? What's going to give you some mindful joy in the day? Is it a cup of tea in the sun for 10 minutes without anyone around? Is it a 30-minute walk with some hip-hop tunes in your headphones? That's my self-care clearly because I'm like saliv- <laughs> salivating talking about it. But how can you fill your cup on this journey with the juggle? That's a really important thing. And I think feeling not guilty about your self-care. Put it at the top of the list. It's okay. You're allowed to do that and it's important because if you're okay, my mum says this and her tips are in here, but she always says to me, if you're okay, everyone's okay, please. Like you've got to look after you and that's a really big one. Number two with the juggle is I think asking for help and accepting it easy to ask sometimes, but if you're going to ask someone to do something, let them do the, do it their way and accept it might be different, but it's okay. So we're, ha- we're talking about husbands here, aren't we? We're talking about husbands <laughs> and also parents like my mum, you know, I'll yes. say to mum, you know, mum will fold the clothes or will, will, and I'm like, oh, mama, not loving it. <laughs> not loving the way you fold it. Now the seven-year-old, that's her chore. She gets a dollar for a massive basket of clothes. Oh, love it. And I don't love the way she does it either, <laughs> if I'm being honest. But if you're going to ask for help, let people do it their way and accept it. Step right away and let them step in so you can just wash your hands of the job. The third is being organised, I think. For me, the juggle is there are lots of balls. There's the clinic, there's the kids, there's the book, there's the TV show, cooking show, there's lots of other stuff. My relationship, I try to be a nice daughter, you know, when I'm not too chaotic. <laughs> um, you know, a good friend, all of those things matter. But I think being organised and going, that's my time, that's time with the kids, that's the only time I'm going to book in things like that. No, I'm going to keep that weekend free just for the family, for us to all fill our cups because we've all been a bit chaotic lately. I think doing that unapologetically and ruthlessly is key and it's not easy and only now am I really good at it. I was talking about this with friends the other day. I think Actually, we're kind of worse at it since COVID ended. Yeah. Since lockdown ended, we kind of went, I sort of thought of the time as, as lockdown. I always say it was lovely. Of course, I'm erasing all the homeschooling yeah. that was awful. But I did love how everything just paired right back. Yes. And I know it was a struggle for a lot of people. And of course, it was it was devastating in many ways. Mm. And I was fortunate it wasn't that kind of devastating for me. It was just a really quiet time mm-hmm. with no extracurriculars, no dates or play dates or anything. Mm. Birthday parties. Birthday parties. That's my whole life. Yeah, yeah. right. 
And then I thought, I turned around and I'm like, oh my God. It, and we were all saying, it's like we're on steroids now, like yes. pre-COVID. It's like we have no boundaries now. We have to say yes because we haven't seen that person in three years. Or Correct. And do you know what else has happened? And I say this to patients, they're so excited. It's like, but remember when we couldn't go out for dinner? Let's go for dinner all the time. <laughs> it's like, but I'm exhausted and I haven't slept and I'm really stressed out and my sleep quality has gone down. I don't want to drink alcohol because of, you know, the cancer risk and I'd like to have a bit of a break. But you say yes. So I think we need to be, be empowered to actually say, and I'm learning this, but I now say no without explanation. No, I can't do it. No, we can't come to that play date. Not because we're busy or because of justifying, but maybe we could reschedule to the 10th. Yes. And then you pack in your diary there. I have just learned to say no, and that's okay. And do you know what? You're allowed to protect days and time in your diary for you and your family and your kids. And how brilliant is it when you realise you don't have anything planned oh, on the weekend? I know. You're like, I wow. say to Will, I'm like, that's the orange, like it's highlighted. <laughs> so when I say be organised, I'm not lying. Like it's a highlighted diary. But I say, you know, no, don't put anything on that day. That's the gardening day. Let's get in the veggie patch and plant the silver bead. I need to get the silver bead in. <laughs> um, and so we protect that time fiercely because it helps us function as a family. Mm. I love that advice. Priya, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. That's Dr. Priya Alexander. She's a GP and author of Eat, Sleep, Play, Love. And for information about where you can get the book, check out the notes in this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love, a listener original podcast. If there's something you'd like to learn more about, email me at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. For more great kids and parenting podcasts, check out the Listener app and don't forget to follow us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.